Lord Jesus, we thank you for your you visiting us. We recognize that your presence was here before we got here. But yet your presence is everywhere. But we also recognize that there are occasions when you sovereignly allow us to sense your presence. It's almost like you pull back the curtain of heaven and you and you pour out your spirit upon us so that we can sense you that you're here. Thank you that this morning you've chosen to do that. We also know that the work you have begun in our hearts will continue far beyond after we exit this building. And so this morning as we follow on during our time of worship, and we worship you by hearing your word and by looking at your word, I pray that this time of your visitation has prepared our hearts to hear your voice. So let your word come alive to us today and give me the words that would come from your throne and not be my own opinion. Help us today, Lord God. I pray in the name of Jesus and everybody said, Consecration that leads to transformation. And as as I was thinking about today, and I'm still kind of in this mode Thinking-wise, I'm still kind of in this mode after Easter. You know, we, we talked about our response to Easter. And uh, and I'm thinking about this, and, and I thought, well, consecration is our response to God's grace and mercy on us. And in a little bit, we'll talk about that being our logical response, reasonable. But consecration is... I mean, when you think about God's mercy to us, and that's been mentioned several times this morning, and when you think about the grace of God that brought us to Christ, we were saved by grace. The only response we can have, the only really good response we can have is to consecrate our lives to him. Uh, I'm reading a book, I think I mentioned it one time, by William Wilberforce. Um, who was the, the gentleman who led the crusade in England against slavery. He spent almost his whole life in the parliament. And finally, near his death, they abolished slavery. And he wrote a book about uh, what, we, what he calls cultural Christians. It's an interesting book. It's actually been reworded by a gentleman into our vernacular. The, English, the old English is so hard to read. But basically he's saying there are a lot of people who are cultural Christians, but they're not real born-again Christians. And we'd, we would have, I'd say we have a problem with that in America. As a matter of fact, as I'm reading this book, it was written in 1700s, late 1700s. I'm thinking, well, he could be writing this today. We have a lot of people that are cultural Christians, but they have not consecrated themselves to Christ. The act or the ceremony consecration would be the act or the ceremony of separating from a common use to a sacred use. So we take our life and take it from what would be a common purpose and a common use. And we now have made it a sacred use to the father. For one thing, we are not our own. We've been bought with a price. So we're actually giving to God what's already his. But he won't fight you. See, that's the problem. He won't fight you. He'll let you try to do your own thing. 
And then when you fall on your face and break your bones and you bleed all over the carpet, then he'll come and pick you up in his mercy. It's in the act of consecration is where we distinguish ourselves as belonging solely to God the Father. And you say, well, who else would we belong to? We belong to ourselves. Because that's what we do when we're sinners. And when we walk in the flesh, we operate and function in such a way that we, we, we're our own boss. Consecration, this is... Um, in his 1828 dictionary, Noah Webster defined, he said, consecration does not make a person or thing really holy, but declares it to be sacred. That is devoted to God or to divine service. You, you don't have to go to Africa and be a missionary. You don't have to, to uh, live on nothing, although sometimes that comes with it. But God says, if you're going to consecrate your life, then you declare your life sacred unto him and you devote yourself to him and or his divine service. I'd say and more than or divine service. Divine service is not always in a foreign country. It's sometimes right across the street. Sometimes it's right next door. But have you devoted yourself to that? You know, this is not a congregation of people that are going to come to church and play church. You're not going to stick around here very long if you're playing church. If you if you just want to pretend and be seen, uh, if you want to be seen, there are other places to be seen. Although you are seen when you come here, that camera there and that camera there and that camera there. This consecration begins with the presenting of our lives to God as a living sacrifice. A very familiar passage, if you want to turn to Romans chapter 12. Very familiar verses to most of us. Uh, and this is what was on my mind. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. And uh, I'm going to ask you to stand. I sure won't have to stand very long. Uh, and I'm going to read those two verses from the English Standard Version. And it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. We'll come back to that. Do not be conformed to this world, but, trans- but be transformed. Say transformed. By the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You can be seated. The English Standard Version says, I appeal. Most versions there, and, and I think the Greek text says, I urge you. In other words, this says, Paul is writing, he said, this is really important. Now pay attention. I urge you. Not just some suggestion that he made for a Sunday school class. I urge you that in view of God's mercy, with God's mercy in view, thinking about what God has done for you in view of God's mercy. Earlier in this book, Paul writes, there is none righteous. And of course, he's quoting Old Testament. None. Everybody say none. None righteous. A few weeks ago, I told you the people say, um, 
why do bad things happen to good people? And we, the answer is there are no good people. None righteous. All have sinned. He wrote in that same uh, area, same chapter, that the wages of sin are death. The result of sin, the consequences of sin is death. God told Adam and Eve, if you partake of that fruit, you will surely die. Well, they didn't physically die then, but they did later on. But they spiritually died right then. The minute that act of disobedience took place. Romans 6 tells us that the wages of sin of sin is death, but it also tells us that the gift of God is eternal life. And so in Romans 10, it tells us to confess with our mouth. If we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart, we will be saved. Jesus Christ is Lord. And so we find ourselves on the receiving day again. We find ourselves on the receiving end of God's mercy. God's mercy is what we don't deserve. God's mercy is when he extends himself to us for no other reason except he himself. There's, you know, you might think there was something good in you that God saw that caused him to want to redeem you, but I hate to bust your bubble. You don't even have a bubble. <laughs> There's nothing in me that God said, well, I could. No, God, because of himself, extended his mercy to you. And you receive the gift of God. And he's writing this largely to Gentiles. You know, Rome, Italy, mostly Gentiles, mostly Gentiles in this church. And he tells them in chapter 11 that they, the Gentiles, were grafted into the vine. That the, the promise was to Abraham and his descendants, the Jewish people. And one, the great mystery that Paul reveals over and over again in his letters, the great mystery is that God grafted in the Gentiles into the promise. And so you get the last verse, I think, of Galatians 3 that says, if you are in Christ, you are Abraham's seed. So there, it, we're all Jew, Gentile, we're all part of that. We're grafted into this vine. And he says in Romans 9.25, again, he's quoting the Old Testament. He said, I will call them my people who are not my people. Now, most of us in this room, and probably most watching online, would be considered Gentiles. In other words, we were not of a Jewish, some are, but most of us are not. And so we could be, we could be in that category who were not his people, but now we are his people. So in view of all of that, if you see all of that, if you believe all of that, if you feel all of that, then he says, in view of that, here's what I want you to do. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. We sang about it earlier. Present your bodies. Romans 5, I think it is, or maybe 6. He says, 
Wherever you present the members of your body, do you present them for righteousness? Or do you present the members of your body for unrighteousness? And that tells us something that we need to make pay attention. We have the ability of presenting our bodies to God. The word there for present is a word that means to stand beside. In other words, here's what happens. You take your life, your body, your physical body, I'll mention that again in a moment, and you put it beside God in such a fashion that you're saying to God that I am at your disposal. Do with me what you wish. That's to present your body. It refers to the, us Christians as whole beings. Paul in Thessalonians 5 identifies that we are spirit, soul, and body. And Paul is saying it's not enough to do all the other stuff. I want you to present your bodies to God as a living sacrifice. Remember the Old Testament, sacrifice an animal. Animal's dead. <laughs> I'll come back to that. He says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is something that a Greek or a Greek person would never say. They would never say anything about presenting their bodies because in the Greek culture, the body is only a prison house. It's something to be despised and to be ashamed of. And so the... When Paul's writing this to the Gentiles, he's short-circuiting their minds. Because they've never heard such. So, I mean, that's just a, that's something to be ashamed of. Why won't I give him my body? And that's because we are whole beings. So, uh, William Barclay, who I don't always agree with on everything, but this, he's, in this case, he said, so Paul says, take your body, take all the tasks that you have to do every day, take the ordinary work of the shop, the factory, the shipyard, the mine, the recording studio, the school. I mean, you could, you could, and offer all, everybody say all, all that as an act of worship to God. You don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to be a Sunday school teacher. You certainly don't have to be a missionary. But you do have to be someone who has consecrated their life to God. And whatever you do with your life, with your body, offer that to God as worship. Real worship is the offering of everyday life to God. Thus, in doing so, we yield ourselves to the work that's being done and to be done in our lives. We yield ourselves to be that instrument of righteousness. We, we place ourselves beside God, putting ourselves at His disposal to do whatever it is He wants us to do. The living sacrifice is so different. The old covenant dispensation with its sacrifices was ended. Paul is writing this. He's identifying that the old practice of sacrificing the animal on the altar, that was over a new order, a new way. Hebrews says a new and living way. Sacrifice 
has now arrived. Now we give ourselves. Now here's the issue. In the Old Testament, you would take an animal, lamb, whatever, you'd kill it, lay it on the altar, make the sacrifice, and that was it. In the New Covenant, we present our, our bodies as living sacrifices. We place ourselves on the altar before God. But the problem with a living sacrifice is that sometimes they keep getting up back off the altar. If, if the lamb in the Old Testament had been living, they probably would have got up off the altar, especially if they had any idea what was coming. But you and I, we put ourselves on the altar, and then we jump off. And then we're convicted, and we get back on. And then we jump off. And you see where that's headed. Living sacrifices. Paul was calling on these Gentile believers in Rome to devote themselves to God and to promote his honor in any way in which he would command. I know we're drawing a narrow road, but you know who said was first one to talk about a narrow road? The Lord Jesus. Narrow is the way. Wide is the way for destruction. Straight is narrow is the way of life. And sometimes we, the church, we preachers, uh, for whatever reason, we allow too, uh, too wide of a path. <laughs> we make excuses. I want to tell you that you were built, I was built in such a way, crafted by the hand of our maker. Psalm 139 says that we were knit. He knitted us in our mother's womb. Take a, Get a picture of God with knitting needles in your mother's womb, putting you together. And when he did that, he made you in such a way that if you operate outside of the parameters in which he identifies, you will not function to your greatest capacity. Present your bodies, living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Holy. That doesn't mean sinless. That just means you set apart. It means purity and integrity. It means that you are set apart unto God. Acceptable just means that you're well-pleasing to God. Old song used to be sung by Naomi and the Seagull Brothers. How many of you remember Naomi and the Seagull Brothers? Yeah, that's what I thought. I knew that row would. <laughs> they used to sing a song. Naomi Seagull used to sing a song called, Is My Lord Fully Satisfied With Me? And we need to be asking ourselves that question every day. Have I presented myself as a living sacrifice to the degree that I'm hope my, my life is holy unto him and that I am well-pleasing to him? It's either amen or oh me. And then he goes on to say, holy and acceptable to God, which in the ESV it says, which is your spiritual worship. I don't like that word. I like the word spiritual but really, in the margin, in the ESV, it says rational. In the Greek, it's the word where we get our, it's the, we get our word logical from. Our logical response. So in view of God's mercy, bodies, living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God. So the, the logical next step 
is to respond in worship. Remembering once again that worship is much more than coming on Sunday morning and singing songs, giving your offering and doing communion. All of that's important. We'll never stop doing that. But we cannot call that the sum total of worship. Remembering that worship comes from an old English word, worthship. We are attributing worthship to God. And everything you do with your life should do that. True worship is offering to God one's body and all that one does every day with it. That's true worship. Which includes what we do here. Which includes what you do in your small groups. Which includes what you do in whatever gathering that you're in. The offering of ourselves to God is seen as the only sensible, logical, and appropriate response to him in view of his self-giving mercy. Selfless mercy. John Stott said this, No worship is pleasing to God which is purely inward, abstract, and mystical. It must express itself in concrete acts of service performed by our bodies. Is your body a living sacrifice? Then your logical response is one of worship. And again, against not just singing, sing all you want to, but when you, when you reach out to someone and assist them, that's worship. When you, when you do anything that gives attributes worship to God, that's worship. Acts of service. And then he starts meddling. That was, ver- that was just verse one. <laughs> I'm going, okay. Then he starts meddling. He says in verse two, if I could see it, I'd read it to you. Oh yeah. It says, maybe I'll not read that. It's kind of challenging. Anyway, do not be conformed to this world. Do not, do not be conformed to this world. I think Paul was thinking about Leviticus 18.3 when he writes this. Watch what it says. So do not act like the people in Egypt. <laughs> Did you know this was in the Old Testament? Where you used to live. Or like the people of Canaan, where I am taking you. You must not imitate their way of life. How about that? Don't act like the people you came from and don't act like the people you're going to. Well, what am I supposed to do, Lord? Well, how about that we just focus on him? He said, don't imitate their way of life. And I'm thinking of the New Testament says, be imitators of Jesus Christ. Do not be conformed. That word is really just a word that means to, to follow an outward pattern or better yet to Adapt ourselves to our surroundings. And we see far too much of this in the church today. Far too much of adapting ourselves to our surroundings. Compromising, changing our theology. I mean, when you, when a little boy goes to school and he wears a shirt that says there are two genders. And he gets kicked out of school. We got a problem. 
heard somebody talking the other day about the, the, the Supreme Court justice. I don't remember her name, Jackson. There's one called Jackson. Anyway, got a grandson named Jackson. Uh, and they asked her to define a woman, and she said, I can't do that. I'm not a biologist. And someone said, you know, there's good news in that because she recognizes that biology would teach us that there is. Anyway. That's not the problem. The problem is, is we have parts of the church who are embracing that kind of thinking. I mean, there's a lot I don't know. There's a lot I'll never know. But if you watch Kindergarten Cop, you figure out there's a difference. (laughs) And I'm not going to quote the little boy, but he's pretty smart. (laughs) Don't be a chameleon. Oh, by the way, let me say this. Society has succeeded in influencing the church more than the church has influenced society. And that's because we're cowering in the corner, worrying somebody might not like what we're going to say. Don't be like a chameleon which takes its color from its surroundings. But as you've heard, if you've been here any time, you've heard me quote J.B. Phillips version of this verse don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold but let god remold your minds from within don't let the world squeeze you into the because it wants to it won't oh god doesn't really care about that oh god understands no he doesn't he doesn't understand when we willfully choose to depart from his prescribed way of life. He does not understand when we choose to willfully sin. All of us have problems. All of us are human beings. All of us uh, live in a body of flesh, and we're going to make mistakes. We're going to sin. But I'm talking about a willful lifestyle of sin. It's not, oh, God understands. Yeah, he understands you making a mess of your life. And me too. Don't let the world squeeze you. Don't buy the message of the world. And when I say the world, I mean the world system, the culture. But don't be conformed, but be transformed. This is what we need because we we do live in a body of flesh. We did live a certain amount of time, some more than others, outside God's parameters, outside God's kingdom, before we were born from above by the Spirit of God. And we, you know, old habits die hard. The, the, the conformed, to be not conformed, is, an, is from the outside in. It's forces from the outside in trying to change us. But to be transformed is to allow what's inside of us to come out. Transform us from the inside out. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. The word there, transformed, is the same word used when it talks about the transfiguration of Jesus. Metamorphosis. A complete change came over Jesus. Now, i got to confess, 
I don't totally understand that. But I do understand this much, that on that Mount of Transfiguration, when Peter, James, and John went up there and said, how you fall asleep in that revival meeting, I don't know. But what, what I do know is what we see is God saying to us through the Scripture and saying to those guys who are sleeping, this is the real glory of this guy. This is my son. You've probably heard me say this. You know, Peter, it was impetuous. Peter's got, can I say diarrhea of the mouth? I just did, didn't I? Uh, we'll, we'll erase that from the video. No. And he, oh, hey, us, there's Elijah and there's Moses and there's Jesus. Let's build three tabernacles, three houses. Boy, we're going to have a great old time. And sometimes you just need to back up and, and put a lip, uh, a clothespin on your lips. And God said, Wait a minute. This is my son. And one time I was studying that and the Lord showed me that Peter was equating Jesus with Moses and Elijah. You want to build three tabernacles. Oh boy, that's true. And God, the father is saying, no, he's the only ones that my son, Moses and Elijah are great prophets, but this is the only one. That's the son of God. And in that moment, he was changed and he, his, the glory of who he really is was seen. And that's the kind of transformation he wants to do in your heart and mine, in my mind. Back to John Stott. It is a fundamental transformation of character and conduct away from the standards of the world and into the image of Christ himself. This is the, the transformation that we're looking for. And by the way, uh, you know, there, there is no finish line in this race. There is no, okay, next week I'll complete this course. No, you know when you complete the course? When your toes are up. That's the only way you finish this race, this course. It's an ongoing process of being transformed into the image of Christ. And he said, how are we going to be transformed? Well, it starts by, and it finishes by the renewing of our mind. Why is that? Because we, for all, most of our lives, especially if we spent any amount of time before we became to Christ, we have lived with stinking thinking. We thought like the world, we acted like the world, we did, we made responses like the world because we were the world. And we get born again and our spirit changes and we're alive and everything's great, but we still find ourselves thinking like the world. And God says, I want to change that, that thinking. I want to change your mindset. I want to be, to be changed into a, a kind of a new life with new strength and vigor, but you can't do that if you're still hanging on to stinking thinking. <laughs> I don't know if I told y'all this. My wife read the other day. I probably did, but I leak. You do too. She read about a, a pastor's wife who wrote in one of these little Facebook things she's a part of. Someone got mad and left their church because the pastor always walked over here when he preached, always walked to the right. Somebody got mad and left the church who sat over there, I guess. 
I said, well, they should have just changed seats. I mean, I can move over here. <laughs> the renovation of your mind is a lifestyle. It's not an experience. Oh, God, do it to me right now. Nothing happens. Why? Because it's a lifestyle change. It, I mean, experiences are great. And, you know, Brother Charles says, if you can have it, not feel it, you can lose it, not know it. But but this is not what we're talking about. We're talking about God, over a period of time, renewing our mind to his way of thinking. He writes to Ephesians, in reference to your former manner of life, former manner of life, lay aside the old self, the old man which is being corrupted in through deceitful desires. Verse 23, and be constantly, everybody say constantly. See, that's progressive. Renewed in the spirit of your mind. It's an ongoing process. To be changed in our way of thinking. And I wrote this down. It's only when we let go of the low life that we can find the high life. And I'm not talking about Miller, by the way. And Paul says, to, he's writing to the church of Philippi, and he says, here's what, here's how you can do this. He didn't use these words, but what he's basically saying is, if you want to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, if you want to be transformed by your mind being renewed, he said, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence and anything worthy of praise, dwell or think on these things. And I have to ask us, what in the world are we dwelling on? What are we thinking on? And as our mind is renovated, our person is transformed. Our life is transformed. He says, though our outer self is wasting away. Now, you, somebody said so-and-so's dying. And I said, well, I'm dying. Everybody's dying. Don't know when. A friend of mine in our church in Louisiana he, 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 he said, Larry, you got cancer, developed lung cancer. He said, do you think I'm going to die? I said, yeah, absolutely you are. I said, I can't tell you when, but I guarantee you're going to die. You may not die from lung cancer, but you're going to. And he did. He eventually went to heaven. But though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed by the day. Now, how can you renew your inner self? Being transformed by the renewing of your mind. As we renew our minds to God's higher thoughts, we begin to experience his higher ways. <clears throat> and let me just tell you this. If you want to think like God, if you want your mind to be, to be geared to God, if you want to know what his opinion is about things, 
if you want to know the lifestyle that he is interested in you having, man, you have a great gift. And, and right here, right here in this book. You say, well, I, don't want, I don't know what God sounds like. Well, read, read what he said. And you'll know what he sounds like. Well, I have a hard time discerning God's voice. Well, read his word. And then you'll say, well, I heard that voice, but it didn't sound like this. I don't think that's God. Let me check it out again. Or you'll hear uh, something and you go, hey, that sounds exactly like the author of this book. If you want your mind to be renewed, if you want to see your life transformed by the renewing of your mind, Study the scripture. Now, you don't have to study to be a scholar. You don't have to study it to to impress people. You read the scripture not to become uh, academic superiors. You read the scriptures so that you connect with the author. Through the Holy Spirit. I mean, this... Okay. The midweek video, I don't remember when it's coming out, but I did something on this this week. That when I study the Bible, I'm not just looking for words. I'm looking for the God of the words. And that's why Hebrews says the the word of God is living and active. And Jesus said, the word, John 6, 63 the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and life. So when you go delving into God's word, look for him. Jesus said, you search the scriptures, and that's a good thing. You search the scriptures for you could, so you can find eternal life. And then he says to them, and yet I've been standing right here the whole time. And what he's saying is, when you search the scriptures, you'll find me. You won't be a spiritual egghead. You might be. I can't, I'm not. I'm not any kind of egghead. I, I hope. But, but when you search the scriptures, Look for him. Don't just look for to memorize verses so you can impress somebody. I mean, memorize, memorize all the verses you want to because that's a good thing. That's where meditation comes in. But you you search the scriptures to find the author. I said that I'm being repetitive. And then he he says, "Be whoa, good catch, Larry. Do not do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal." Of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. It's only a renewed mind that can discern what God's will is. Your flesh will never discern God's will. Your flesh will never let you think about God's will. But a renewed, the more that, and again, it's an ongoing process. You say, well, I, I, you know, Lord, give me patience and give it to me now. You know that that's not the way it works. 
Lord, I want to be, re- want to be transformed by the renewing of my mind and I want it to be done now. Doesn't work that way. You're going to, you're going to fail. You're going to stub your toe or stub your tongue, however may be the case. But the more that you allow God to transform you from the inside out by the renewing of your mind, the more you're able to discern and understand what God's will is. Finally, a consecrated life is a life being transformed as we allow our minds to be renewed according to his plan and his purpose. His plan and his purpose. Consecrated life, consecration that leads us to transformation. And I'll, I'll say this and then we'll close. God accepts you the way you are. But he loves you too much to leave you that way. 